Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. We're moving into the last three chapters of the book of Proverbs. Originally, I had planned to put these three chapters in with chapters 16 through 28, but then I talked so long about those chapters, I decided to make this one a separate podcast because it's a separate week in the reading, but also because there's an awful lot to say about chapter 31, which we'll get to in just a few moments. First of all, in chapters 29, we continue with this section of Proverbs, a collection um, for training those who are bureaucrats, who are diplomats, those who are operating in the king's court. So in other words, these proverbs are beneficial for training leaders about how to handle the dealings of a city, a state, a country, an organization, or for us, even a church. Uh, I'm drawn especially to chapter 29, verse 4. By justice, a king gives stability to the land, but one who makes heavy exactions ruins it. So in the case of a city, a state, or a country, this would be the leader. Justice makes a land stable. People feel secure. They become good workers, more productive because they're not living in fear. They want to stay. In an organization, this would be creating an environment that is fair, where you don't feel that your hard work goes unnoticed while someone else does not have to work hard. When there is a fair and just environment, you have more productive, happier employees and people. This would apply to a church as well. The second half of that says, but one who makes heavy exactions ruins it. In the case of a city, state, or country, this would be taxes. When you're taxed, when your government takes too much from you, asks too much of you, then it actually ruins that feeling of safety and peace. What would that look like in an organization, a business, or a church? What would those heavy exactions be? That's worth us considering. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that what you tolerate, you actually cultivate. They say, a fool gives full vent to anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. So what we tolerate, we cultivate. What do we want to cultivate? Do we want to cultivate an angry place where people go off and rant and rip one another to shreds with their words? Do we want a place where people lie to us? Or do we want to cultivate calmness, cooperation, communication, and, and truthfulness. Um, we want to cultivate the environment that we want to see. Verse 18, um, where there is no prophecy, people cast off restraint, but happy are those who keep the law. It's a reminder of God's presence and that God's presence and God's standards of right and wrong are important. When we lose that, why do we behave this way? What difference does it make if we behave morally or ethically? Who cares? Then we tend to start down a bad path. We are not by nature inclined to always be morally and ethically 
good. We sometimes need those boundaries. In a previous chapter, we talked about internal and external controls. For people who are not able to self-regulate themselves, the laws of the land and the rules of of faith, the, the ideas of right and wrong that God provides for us, become external standards or fences that keep them within bounds. We believe that now we live under the law of grace, that we are guided by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us engage and use an, a self-control, an internal um, source of control. God now has written His law upon our hearts, those moral and ethical ways of behaving. Verse 19 shows us that there is a need for consequences. By mere words, servants are not disciplined. For though they understand, they will not give heed. Sometimes we have to back up getting on to someone with words by letting them have consequences to make it really understood and stick. Verse 25 reminds us that we should fear God and not people. The fear of others lays a snare, but one who trusts in the Lord is secure. We want to please God and not other people. Now, some scholars believe that chapters 27, 25 through 27 and chapters 28 and 29 were once two separate collections that have now been stitched together. And that may be the case. Certainly, they hear some separation between the two. Moving into chapter 30, this first part contains the sayings of Agur, A-G-U-R there. Um, so this is a set of collections of Proverbs that are attributed to someone other than Solomon, but have been collected and useful. They were attached here at the end of some of Solomon's and before the closing chapter, which kind of wraps all of this up. Verse 4 reminds me of Job chapters 38 through 41. Verse 4 says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in the hollow of the hand? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is the person's name? What is the name of the person's child? Surely you know. In other words, only God, only God has done these things. Um, verse 5 reminds us that every word of God proves true. There, um, We should not add to that. We should not put man-made rules on there and call them the rules of God. They may be our interpretations of how those rules should be applied, but we need to be very careful about what are the traditions of human beings and the interpretations or applications of humans versus what did God actually say. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. If you remember, God said, don't eat of the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when the serpent tempts Eve, she says, we were told not to eat of that, not to even touch it. Well, certainly you have to touch it to eat it, but that wasn't the, she's already added to what was said. We need to be very careful. A lot of rules and things that we consider good Christian behavior are interpretations of things in the Bible. We've made some other religious rules that we need to be careful about calling God's rules. Okay, that's enough about that for here. Verses 7 through 9 are a really beautiful statement of, give me just enough 
If I have too much, I might get lazy. I might get haughty and prideful. I might think I did it. I might not stay as dependent on you. Give me just enough. Give me what I need. There. Um, we have several times now in verse 15, verse 18, verse 21, and verse 29 where there's a pattern. Three things, four things. Three things are wonderful to me. Four things I do not understand. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. In verse 24, this more than likely was meant to be another one of those kind of couplets, but we're missing the line that contains the three. It just starts with four things on earth are small, yet they are exceedingly wise. Okay, this brings us to the final chapter of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 31 is a poem to a woman of worth, literally to a woman of strength um, or to the capable wife. Um, it, and this has been used in a lot of really interesting ways. Traditionally, this has been interpreted as the ideal wife and that this was a poem that Solomon wrote talking about his own mother praising her and um, overlooking any faults that she has, or that this was Solomon's ideal of what the ultimate woman looks like. It's quite ambitious. It's a high standard to live up to. And many of us women have felt almost beaten down by all of the high standards of all the things we're supposed to be able to do and do them all well and do them in what seems like not enough hours in the day to do them. Some scholars question whether this is about an actual human woman because some of the roles mentioned in this poem would have been rare or even completely unavailable to ancient Eastern women, such as um, her authoritative place in the family, in the economy, and in society. It even says that she is the source of her husband's honor. This would not have been true in that culture. The opposite was true. Her honor came from her association with her husband. If her husband was a dishonorable person, she would not be looked on well. Um, we see this with Nabal um, and Abigail, as we have studied other Old Testament passages. He wasn't really wise, and she had to get him out of it. I do believe that a good woman can reflect positively on a man and she can help him as they are partners and go through life. However, to say he draws honor from her would be an enormous overstatement for them. This has led scholars to question whether or not this may be a poem about woman wisdom, which is what the whole book has been about. So we started with being introduced to woman wisdom her being contrasted with folly, the foolish woman. And now at the end, what does life look like when you are going through life with woman wisdom beside you? All of these things that you do, whether you're female or male, become so much better when wisdom does them with you. Um, look at what woman wisdom and the woman of worth here in this chapter do. They both light the way. We see that in verse 18 of this chapter. We saw it in chapter 13, verse 9. Both are more precious than jewels. 
We heard that not only in verse 10 of this chapter, but in chapter 3, 15, 8, 11, 16, 16, and 20, 15. Both bring protection, prosperity, and honor to their house and those associated with them. We hear that in verse 11 and 12 of this chapter, as well as in chapter 4, verses 6, 8, and 9. Both are able to laugh at the future. We see that in in verse 25 of this chapter, as well as chapter 1, verse 26. And both teach us by advice and example to respect and obey the Lord. We see that in verse 30 of this chapter, as well as in chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 9, verse 10, and chapter 15, verse 33. The woman in this poem does all the things that wisdom teaches us to do, to work hard, to not be idle, to manage your affairs well, to pay attention to what is going on, to use good, prudent financial Um, decision-making, to be wise in our financial dealings, but also to be generous and kind to others. Um, That perfect woman, if she's an individual, can feel condemning. But if this woman is wisdom, then there's grace in the message for both of us, for men and women. None of us can be this perfect person on our own. That's the message of the gospel. None of us can be good enough to please God without God's own help. But if wisdom is a gift from God, then these become not standards that we have to live up to and judge and condemn ourselves when we don't, but these become resources upon which we can draw as we try to be the very best spouses, parents, friends, children, members of society and members of churches, as well as leaders, leaders of our families, our churches and our communities. So if we see this poem as being wisdom and how wisdom becomes a partner for us and making everything better, this becomes encouragement I've said earlier that many see a connection between woman wisdom and the Holy Spirit. It's led some to believe they are the same. I don't know that I am willing to accept that they are the same, but they certainly are connected there. John Wesley saw wisdom as being a part of God's prevenient grace. Wisdom nudges us toward God, teaches us to value the way that God teaches us to live. We know that we've seen great, we've seen people who had a lot of ability to teach and teach biblical principles who have success in the business world because these kinds of things apply outside even of faith in business and in the world. Treat people fairly, be truthful, work hard, um, seek justice, make people feel comfortable and confident, learn from mistakes, move forward. Um, All of those things are actually supposed to be leading us to the source. The source of that good advice is wisdom, and the source of wisdom is God. That's God's provenient grace drawing us into relationship. So here at the end of this book called Proverbs, everything necessary for us to follow the path of wisdom is present. Wisdom awaits us at the gate, meets us on every path, and cries out in the middle of the streets. Wisdom is available to us if we will accept it, if we will use it, if we will apply it. 
the only variable, the only variable of whether or not we will be wise is our response. Will we shut the gate on her? Will we walk right past her? Will we ignore her cries in the street? Or will we become partners in life and let her become part of what we do? This is echoed in the final verse. Give her, give wisdom a share in the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the city gates. This verse is both an invitation and a challenge. What will we choose to do with wisdom? Hope you've enjoyed our journey through the book of Proverbs. Thank you.